So I'm going to do the introductions. Uh, the first person, Bill Howe. Bill is a registered nurse and certified diabetes educator working at St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver. He has had type 1 for 19 years and is an avid athlete, spending his free time playing squash, cycling, and hiking. After spending many years struggling with low blood sugar during exercise, he now found success in reducing their frequency through the use of Dexcom and looping with, with his Omnipod insulin pump. He enjoys bringing his lived experience to his work um, in the Diabetes Center at St. Paul's Hospital and helping other people with type 1 live um, healthier and happier lives. Our second um, expert tonight is Alana Chambers. Alana is a registered dietitian and a certified diabetes educator from Kelowna, BC. Um, since completing her training at McGill University, she has focused her career on type 1 and technology. She spent nearly 10 years um, in the ins insulin pump industry, has worked with our local diabetes program, and is now focused on insulin pump and CGM education. She's a dynamic speaker, and I know that because I've seen her speak multiple times, so I can attest to that. Um, and she's known for blending her current, um, the current evidence with practical pearls. Um, having lived with type 1 since childhood, she understands that daily management takes just as much creativity um, and art as it does science. Her goal is to help um, life with type 1 feel even just a bit better. In her spare time, she loves to spend time in the outdoors with her husband and three girls. All right, so I'm going to hand this over to um, Phil and Alana. Go ahead. Lovely. Thank you so much for the introduction, Trisha. Um, amazing that you guys found that first presentation so helpful that you requested another one. And I'm thrilled to be back and always thrilled to be chatting with, uh, with Alana as well. She's amazing. Um, yeah, so for today, we're going to do CGM 201, um, a guide to interpreting CGM reports across the different platforms. So we're going to look at Libre, we're going to look at Dextracom, we're also going to look at Medtronic as well. Awesome. Good. Well, let me see if our tech is working right here. Before we start, here's uh, some of our disclosures, just so you know, we both do um, some work with diabetes tech. Yeah, so in today's session, we will, we're going to go over some of the key glycemic goals for type 1 diabetes with and without um, CGM. We're going to explore the most common CGM reports for Libre, Medtronic, and Dexcom, and then hopefully help you guys feel more confident in just reviewing your own data and being independent with it. Awesome. So let's just start by taking a bit of a step back and let's think about what our goals are when we look at type 1 diabetes. So these are not new to us. Many of us, if you've been to any type of diabetes center since your diagnosis, you've probably seen these numbers. And let's see some some head nods, right? They're almost ingrained. This is like ingrained in my head. But we've been told for many years that we're after a fasting blood sugar in that four to seven range for adults, sometimes a little higher for kids and, and teens. And then after the meal, we're expected to try and keep that blood sugar between about five to 10. And if all of that works out, Ideally, that should land us very close to that A1C goal of 7% that we hear about again and again and again. And the biggest thing I want to emphasize with this is that these are our goals. That's not where we expect you to be all of the time. This is where we're trying to get. Our goal is to try to be four to seven. Are we going to be four to seven every day? No, but we're trying to get as close to that as we can. And even if we're working towards it, that's going to make a difference. 
The other thing I want to emphasize here is we're switching to talking about CGM goals. So we go, okay, these are just point in time glucose metrics. So now how has that changed? And can we trust what the new goals are with CGM metrics? So these, these numbers here have been very, very, very well studied as far as you know, optimizing our health, minimizing risk of complications. So that is where these come from. So what a lot of people have been spending hours and hours and hours and a lot of manpower studying is how do we look at our CGM data to make sure that we're also minimizing our risk of the same things? And what are those ideal numbers that are somewhat equivalent to this, but actually even more robust because we have more than just a few finger pokes a day. Okay, so let's take a look at that. And so this is a slide that kind of shows you how we might use a continuous glucose monitor to, to look at different goals around blood sugar management. And so when we're using a continuous glucose monitor, because we have not just little pictures of our day, we have a whole video of how it's going, we, we use a goal called time and range to get a sense of how is your blood sugar doing? So what time and range refers to is the amount of time that your sugar is between 3.9 and 10, which is generally where we want it to be. It'll also break down time below range, which is sugars below 3.9, and time above range, which is sugars above 10. And, and a really quick way of kind of thinking about this is you want to increase the amount of green in that time and range report as much as you can. You want to minimize those yellows, reds, and oranges, and just grow that green section. And so in terms of targets, with time and range, we're aiming to try and have people above 70%. And what we do see is that when people are around that 70% mark, Usually their A1C is pretty close to 7%. Um, we also see for about every 10% decrease in time and range you get, you get about a change of 5% in your A1C. So if you're at 60% time and range, your A1C is probably about 7.5, 50%, your A1C is probably pretty close to eight. Um, so yeah, just, just looking at maximizing these ranges and trying to grow that green section. Totally. And, and also just to put into context, I always say, Phil, it's like this, this 70%, it can sound actually pretty daunting and it depends on your personality. If you're someone who's, you know, after the high marks, you know, if you did well in school and you remember like that 86% is an A, it can feel like 70%. Like, is that really good enough? Is that a C? But a 70% takes an incredible amount of work. I have worked with many people who put hours into their diabetes, very, very dedicated, and they get stuck in the 60s and they can't quite get up to that 70, right? So don't beat yourself up if you're not there. Like Phil said, that little incremental change, as long as we're moving forward, it makes a big difference. And, and oftentimes we see layering in more technology is what helps us get to that 70. Sometimes that's what it takes. Um, let's move forward here. Why isn't my slide going? Okay, so the other thing that we want to make sure we're doing is minimizing that glycemic variability. So if you can imagine, if our blood sugars are really going up and down and up and down a lot, and we're going to show you some examples in a minute, it's really difficult to bring things down. So what we want to do is, is at first, maybe it might almost feel like we're not working towards what we want to, but at first, what we really want to do when we're making improvements is just flatten things out a little bit. That line is never going to be completely flat, but we want to avoid the huge peaks and the huge valleys. And if we can make things more stable, that's what we're doing when we're minimizing glycemic variability. Make things more stable, little flatter, then we can slowly bring things closer and down into range. Okay, so that's really what we're after. And so, whoa, look at this report. So this is an example of what a Dexcom 
AGP report might look like. So this provides us a summary of how your blood sugar has been doing in the last couple of weeks. And there's a lot of information on this, but we're gonna break it down for you so it's a little bit easier to, to analyze. So you can start right away looking at that middle section that's highlighted. So this shows you what your time in range is. You can see for this individual, their graph is looking fantastic. Just like Alana had said there, we're aiming for this narrow and in range. Um, and you can see from their time in range here, they're at 77%, which is absolutely fantastic. It's a huge amount of work to get there. And if you continue, Alana, you can see it highlights the lows just to the left of that. So this breaks down low and very low. Um, and again, our goal for that is 4% or less overall. Yep. And then this section in the top right is really, really important. So this, this shows your variation in your blood sugar. Our goal for this number is less than 36%. And as you see this go up higher and higher, that's when you experience more of those hills and valleys of blood sugar, when things start to feel more chaotic. So trying to get that measurement of variation under 36% is really important for quality of life and just not feeling like you're riding this roller coaster of diabetes and blood sugars all the time. Mm -hmm. So that's a flat narrowing range. And so that last report looked pretty good, very flat narrow in range, fantastic. I wish all my patients looked this way. For reality, this is a lot closer to what we see from most people because as it turns out, diabetes is really, really hard. Um, and having that flat narrow in range is, is challenging day in day. So this might be what it looks like for a lot of people there. You can see their target range. They're actually doing pretty fantastic at 60%, a um, little bit of room for improvement. Um, and, but if you look at the top right at that coefficient of variation, that 50%, um, that's when patients really start to experience these highs and lows as you near that 40, 50% higher coefficient of variation. And you can see this in the report where they do have those bigger peaks and that river, that blue river of their blood sugar is much wider. Absolutely. So we're going to spend a little bit of extra time tonight talking about this glycemic variability, because that's often where we need to start. If we're getting, if you, especially if you notice that that coefficient of variation is above that 36%, and you, we probably don't even need you to check the number. If I ask you to just reflect on, I feel like things are kind of bouncy and type one diabetes is <laughs> roller coaster like that's almost the nature of it. Right. But that's, if you put that together with the number, it almost validates, okay, that's why I feel frustrated. It's, I have a lot of glycemic variability that's what it is and it's really challenging so here's if you look at these two people both average glucose of 6.8 you can see here this is what we we're talking about a fairly steady narrow line whereas here you see a lot more ups and downs so this person would probably if this was every day for them they would probably have almost the identical a1c and if all your physician looked at was your a1c they might say, hey, you're doing amazing, but this person's actually getting a lot of lows. They might be having a really tough time and having some highs. So daily life when there's more variability is a lot tougher. Okay, I'm going to show you another example of two people that are trying to get to that 7% A1C and actually very, very close, both at 7.4%. This GMI is basically, it's like an estimated A1C that you'll see in a lot of all of the companies have it in their um, CGM reports. So about a 9.6, 9.5 average glucose. And, and if you want to pipe up in the chat here, like what's the big difference between these two? And you can see they both have some highs, but if you look here, how would this person possibly try to make it so they wake up every day in target? If they're going to increase their insulin at bedtime, look at the nights they're close to low. 
look at some nights they're high, some nights they're low. So why would we want to give more insulin? They're going to end up even lower. And same thing with here during the day. Sometimes they're low, sometimes they're high. That's really challenging to fix. Whereas this person on the right, they're actually really narrow during the, during the day here. And they're clearly peaking. Like, look at this after lunch. There's a big peak after all of the mealtimes very consistently. So that one is actually a little bit easier to fix. You know, oh, okay, I think that's a mealtime thing. Um, this is a really busy view of this, but I think it shows it really well. All of the companies have this, what I've called the spaghetti chart, and it overlaps each day and it looks very busy, but you can see here again, the person on the left, look how every day it's different, each different colored line. Whereas this person here, you can see almost every night it's a similar pattern. They're spiking after breakfast, they're spiking after lunch, they're spiking after dinner. Okay, we need to look at some mealtime dosing, I think, right? So it's it's quite interesting to see that how, we, how we're gonna manage with that moving forward, we need to work on the variability is really what that boils down to. And that's a common, a common challenge for a lot of people with type one. And so I just seen a, seen a question in the chat there saying, can you explain the difference between A1C and GMI? So when we're looking at an A1C, look, it's a lab test that you go and have done usually every three months, every six months, and they're, they're drawing your blood and they're looking at the amount of sugar on your red blood cells and saying, this is what we think your average sugar is. Sometimes that can be useful in guiding um, management with your diabetes. Sometimes it comes with some problems as well because your red blood cells might live longer, they might live shorter, and this can affect the accuracy of your A1C result. Um, with a GMI, we're looking at your actual blood sugars day to day, and we're saying, if your red blood cells lived exactly three months, this is what we think your A1C would be. So if that wasn't clear, with an A1C, they go from this lab test and they try and guess what your sugars is, with a GMI, they say, these are what your sugars are from your continuous glucose monitor. And this is what we would predict your A1C to be if you held that pattern. Yeah. That clear? Yeah. And there, okay. and there truly are, there's a lot of things that can throw off your lab A1C, a lot. <laughs> so if you're wearing a CGM all the time, it's possible your CGM GMI may be more accurate than your lab A1C. There's a lot of debate out there on that right now, for sure. And so this next slide, I'm just putting it out to you, reflecting on your own guys' diabetes health, and maybe throw up some points in the chat here, what causes you guys the most glucose variability? Mm -hmm. I could write a book. How about you, Phil? Yeah, got... no kidding. Exercise, exercise, exercise was brutal for me for years in trying to get that down. Yep. Feel free to write in pizza night. It's movie night in our house tomorrow night. The pizza is always throws us for a loop. Anything that you can think of that makes your blood sugar kind of go up and down. Hormonal oh. changes. I'm so glad someone said that. I was just Amazing. in a big session on that last week. Um, anyone who menstruates, oh my goodness, that time of the month, it can really send the blood sugar a different direction depending on what's happening with the hormones. And as we get older and we hit perimenopause and menopause, it creates other challenges because hormones are changing for sure. Stress is huge as well. And stress can be emotional stress. It can be, I've slept poorly. It can be physical stress, like sickness even. I know I start to see changes in my blood sugar a couple of days before I even feel that scratchiness in my throat. So I see my sugar responding very, very early. Stress, yeah. Yeah, restaurants. Oh my gosh, yes, right? Love it. <laughs> 
the carb the, the portion sizes. They'll tell you how many carbohydrates are in a McDonald's ice cream, but it's not true, especially if yeah. you get a good serving. Yeah. Every meal. Isn't that the truth, right? <laughs> it's always like, if I didn't eat, diabetes would be easy, right? And that's that's a big thing that we're seeing actually with automated insulin delivery. So the new systems that have varying levels of closed loop, um, all of the studies show that overnight the glucose co control comes down. And we have some examples of this and you get that overnight beautifully, but then we eat. <laughs> and guess what? Food makes our blood sugars go up. And so that's a challenging one for everyone, regardless of what we're using. Infusion sites, yes. How are bodies actually absorbing that insulin? And that who hasn't played that game of you eat a meal and you go high and then you overcorrect and then you go low and then you eat again. <laughs> yes. And then Lots your kids Halloween candies out and you're low and you think you need like an extra Skittle pack or something. Has anyone done that? And then you don't listen to that diabetes nurse and have your juice and have your slice <laughs> of pizza instead. Yeah. No, these are lots to get off and feel free to add more in as you think about them. Um, and I know in this in this huddle, this has been shared. We shared it last time, but I still like to throw it up as a reminder because often we go through the years and I go, oh, it's this or it's that that causes my blood sugars to go wonky. And then I will relook at this list and I'll be like, huh, I didn't think about sleep. I had a bad night's sleep last night and go, go figure my blood sugars were a little wonky today. Is that what it was? Right? So there are so many things on this list. And I think a lot of you mentioned the main ones, but it's a nice one to go back to from time to time and just go, okay, it's not just me having a hard time managing my diabetes. There are all these factors that my diabetes team can't even get to the bottom of sometimes. In one visit, you can't possibly cover all of these, right? So it's just good to kind of have them in the back of your mind and, and make a mental note when things are a little wonky and you go, oh, it's that time of the month for me. Maybe it is my hormones. Maybe my period does affect my blood sugar or it's my pizza night again. Maybe I should look at some strategies for that. So we're gonna watch for some of these factors as we go through some of our sample reports to see if, if we can spot um, where some of these factors are influencing some variability for people. Okay. Okay, so next question to put out to you guys, when you're looking at a CGM report, what do you think you should look at first? What, what part of all those bits of data that we went over do you think is the most important thing to first look at? Trends. That's a great one. Absolutely. Never focus on one day, um, but look for those trends for sure. Time and range. Great answer. All talking about time and range a lot now. Okay. Well, okay. we're going to go through a few little things here. That's those are, I mean, those are our first, those are two major ones for sure. And so we're going to talk through here what we encourage you to look at in ACGM report, as well as what your healthcare team is looking for. That was a question that was submitted beforehand. And I think you and your healthcare provider really should be looking at the same things for sure, which is why we're trying to teach you. So this, this data approach for CGM analysis, I saw presented earlier this year at the American Diabetes Association conference. And this is something that's being taught to healthcare providers, but I don't see why you as people living with diabetes can't look through this the same way you're in control of what you want to do, right? So the very top of got to download when we don't actually have to physically download all devices. If you do use a smartphone, it's amazing the technology that we have now where we can automatically see our reports. But for some devices, we do have to actually get that physical download. 
And at the very beginning, we'll look at some of those key metrics that Phil and I talked about. And the two main reports we're going to focus on tonight is the ambulatory glucose profile, which is called the AGP report. That is the blue river. Okay. And depending on which system you use, we'll show some examples. These sometimes are called something different. And that gives you an overview. But then we really want to encourage you to also take a look at the daily report. So we'll go through some of those as well, because you can say it can be overwhelming to go, okay, there's a lot of variability, but there's things happening different on different days. How do I really spot my patterns? So that's a good thing to double check with. I always want you to focus on what's going well. It's really difficult sometimes when you first looking at your data to go, oh, I'm always high here. I'm always low here. And, and I make the mistake of that all the time. But really, let's look at, okay, what's going well? And then let's look after that at what we can improve on. Okay, so that's what's number one focus. And then we always want to make sure we're looking at safety. So when we look at safety, we're looking for lows. Let's look at the lows. That's looking at that percentage time below range, that time in the red, and that variability. Because if you're getting lots of ups and downs and lots of swingings, that increases the risks of you getting more lows. So let's look at why this might be happening and maybe some solutions around it. Okay. Always, always remember when we're looking at our data, if you've had diabetes a long time, sometimes we go, oh, that's a bad number. That's a good number. We don't want to label our numbers. It's high. It's low. It happened. We have insulin. We're going to try and, and work with it. But it's not ever that a number is good or bad. There's a big reminder there. So let Phil finish up the rest of this. I love your continued focus on positivity because really and truly, you guys make hundreds of wonderful, positive, healthy decisions a day. And it's so easy to beat yourself up over, oh, I shouldn't have had that food or I miscounted my insulin. Focus on all the things you're doing right. The fact that you guys are out here and learning about your health and empowering yourself, amazing. And so after, after looking at lows, after looking at variability, another good thing to look at next in kind of your process would be that time and range. Um, we often encourage people not to start with this because if you've got a lot of variability to your day, often reducing that is, is the safest way to start to in, increase some stability to your day to provide, make it so it doesn't feel so chaotic all the time. But that time and range value is really useful in terms of saying, okay, am I moving in, a, in the right direction in terms of having my sugar between 3.9 and 10 all the time? We do know from, from data, or at least it's becoming more supported, that that time and range is really, really useful for predicting how your health does in the long term. So the more we can increase that means better health, means better, just feeling better every day, which is maybe the bigger part there. And then finally, areas for improvement, looking at the highs, spotting, are there things that I can change with meal timing, with insulin timing, with dose, did I, did I respond in a way that I didn't think I was gonna respond and kind of troubleshooting through that can be really helpful. And then finally, if you're not sure, connect with your diabetes health team, we're happy to help you explore things. Totally. Awesome. So remember, the highs is at the bottom, guys. <laughs> right? And and Phil and I both said this, but like, let's focus on someone, Judy put in the chat, look for lows first. Yeah, lows, lows, for sure. Let's fix the lows, number one. Then what am I doing well? Let's keep doing more of that. And then surprisingly, often the highs almost fix themselves. If I'm not low as much, I'm not going to rebound as much. Right? So sometimes just by working on the lows and doing more of the positive, the highs then fix themselves. Um, and if they don't, then maybe we just need to make a change. Okay, good. So let's move on um, to our next slide. 
So here we have a Dexcom Clarity AGP report. And even if you're not using Dexcom, please pay attention to this because you're going to see something very similar. We're going to get to the Libre and the Medtronic right after this, but we're all looking for patterns. We're looking for the same thing, no matter which system that you're using. So in this person here, so we've downloaded the data. And so in this case, the Clarity report, it goes straight up into the cloud. You can view it on your phone or on your desk, um, desktop computer. And we want to pull up this AGP report first. That's what this is called. And that's our, and we can stop and look at our key metrics. But when we go through these metrics, we're going to start with the lows. So when we look on this one, we see that the lows are zero. Okay, so we know there's not a high risk of lows. And to double check that that risk of lows isn't too bad, this coefficient of variation is 17%, like very, very stable glucose levels. So then we move on. We know we're very low risk of lows. So now we're going to move on to this time and range, and we can see that they're 38% time and range. So this tells us that we're not quite where we want to be, but they've achieved that really flat, narrow glucose profile. And now we just want to bring it into range. Now, this can actually be quite challenging. So when we move on, we go, so what's positive? I would say what's positive with this time and range is that things are very steady. And in many cases like this, if there's any of you out there that have this glucose profile, pat yourself on the back for being stable. This person, I think, is just quite nervous about bringing things into range. So they're very stable. And I think it's just going to be a gradual process of going, okay, I'm not comfortable going to bed below 10. So you can see almost every night, this average line at bedtime is, is above 10. It's kind of around 11. So I think there's a lot of fear of lows going on here. If you've had a severe hypoglycemic episode or even just a few bad lows, we know that they're a huge pain and they're scary and that can take time to get over. So in this person, we're just going to have to gradually work on bringing that, bringing that flat line down and getting comfortable running in range before we can really move forward. I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Phil. Does anyone have questions about that one? Yeah, no, I think that was beautiful. And maybe even if, if they don't have that fear around the lows, this might be an example of somebody who would benefit from a correction because they're, they're managing really well with their meals. They're getting back to their, their glucose target. If, if they're comfortable around 10, they're returning to their baseline. Maybe yeah. adding a correction here might be a way to shift the whole graph down. Absolutely. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Okay. I didn't do those. Okay. So I'll pass it back to you. And so this is an example of a Librate AGP report. And while it might look a little bit different, you'll see all of the same bits of information here. So looking at the graph below, you have that dark blue average line, which shows your average blood sugar over the last couple of weeks or months, depending on what you get it set at. You've got that dark blue river that kind of shows the bulk of your information over that time period as well. And so same as we were doing with Dexcom, the first thing we're going to do is look at safety. So for this individual, what are your thoughts on their lows? Variability. Quite a bit higher than we'd want, right? So when you look at this patient, um, this is an individual who's having a lot of lows, 17%. And so you might, this might be the opposite side in terms of sometimes people are quite concerned about their sugar being too high and they overcompensate. They'd rather sit low all the time. But sometimes that can come with risks as well, right? You can go unconscious, you can have seizures, like they can, they can be potentially quite dangerous. Um, this patient also is riding that glucose roller coaster quite heavily. You look at their glucose variability, 53.9%, high, high. So this means they've got lots of days where they're both very, very high and where they're quite low. And you can see this in the graph where 
Um, if you look through the night, they've got sugars down in the three range and they've got sugars up to the like 10 to 14 range. It's, it's quite spread. And so the first step would be trying to narrow this variability because it's really tough when somebody has a wide distribution of sugars to say they need more insulin or less insulin because the answer is kind of both. Um, so first step when I look at this would be working on that. Um, next, looking at time and range. And even tied to this, I would say time and range. And if you look just above the variability there, you can see their, their estimated A1C. 6.9%. So this is an individual who you might go to your um, diabetes check-in or go to your doctor and they say, your A1C is 6.9, you're doing fantastic. But if you didn't have that CGM data, you wouldn't see that they spend so much of their day low. Um, this individual, 52%. So, you know, pretty good actually, but still not quite at that 70% in range. Um, so hopefully we can shift some of those lows up into the in range and then they're in the 70% roughly range and, and they still have that A1C of 7%. Totally. And you know, Phil, it's interesting when you say that, cause I even am of the belief that, you know, those lows are scary and for quality of life, we look at all these lows here and how are they sleeping? Like getting up nearly many, many nights for this to re for the average line to be hitting down there. So even if the time and range temporarily worsened to get rid of the lows, it's still worth it to get rid of the lows. Okay. And chances are, like you mentioned, Philip, once you get rid of the lows, you lose the rebounds as well. Cause that's probably what some of these spikes are is the bad, bad low and the rebound back up. So don't be afraid of, and especially your A1C sometimes might rise when you get rid of some of those lows. Don't be afraid of that though, because that's a temporary thing as we're getting things more stable. Other things that are worth reflecting on in this. So if you look at their blood sugar from when they go to bed, so around midnight to when they wake up in the morning, that's a pretty drastic drop. They're, you know, they're going to bed with a sugar that's in range, maybe in the eight range, and it's ending up below four most nights. So this might, this is a pattern we see with lots of people where like if, if their dinners are, are larger, sometimes they'll try and compensate for that by having their basal rate be too high. Um, but what that means is if they ever go to bed with a normal sugar, they're going to wake up with a low in the middle of the night. Absolutely. So, so part of reducing that variability might be actually decreasing your basal so that they don't have these lows so often. And then when we're starting to look towards the highs there, you can see they've got, so, so something that's interesting here is this individual might only be eating two meals a day. Could explore that possibly, but you can see there's kind of a breakfast lunch or breakfast bump, and then there's kind of a dinner bump. And there could be an exploration around, you know, is, is that causing them problems? And, and whether, whether they need to increase the number of meals to maybe not have such increases to their blood sugar. So lots of things to explore even with this, with this report. Absolutely, lots, so many reasons behind things and different for each person what might be causing that. You'll see when we get to the dailies how that will do more. So we'll do we'll do one more. So here's the Medtronic version of a um, AGP report and it's called the Assessment and Progress Report. So when you open up CareLink um, and you, this is best to view on a computer or a tablet, you can do it on your phone as well, but you have to actually log into the website. It's not on the app yet, um, but this does on the app itself, you can see your time and range, but it is worth it to log into CareLink because then you actually see a lot more than just time and range. It tells us what's happening. So how Medtronic shows their views is they actually have a blue river and an orange river. 
And the Blue River is the most current time period. So we've been talking about the Blue River with, with all of the other ones. So that's this river up here at the top. So that's this time period. And this is actually, they're using 670G. And this is from the time they started using that automated delivery with that auto mode with 670G. And the orange line was beforehand. So they were running um, definitely a little bit on that higher side. So quick glance at that. So we're looking at these key metrics. So number one, let's look for those lows. So those are seen down at the bottom, um, down here on, on the time range graph. So in that um, orange time period, they were at 2% low, which is still pretty minimal. And now they have no lows at all um, since they turn auto mode on. So we know that the lows are a good check. And let's just double check that low risk. And we see that that coefficient of variation is less than 36%, just a hair, but even still that tells us that things are pretty stable. And when we look at the picture, we can see indeed that things do look pretty stable. So that's really positive. So time and range, what's going well? And I mentioned this earlier, what we see with all of these automated systems is right off the bat, look at the overnight, very smooth, very stable. Overnights look beautiful and they should on these systems. If they don't, we really need to look at what's going on. Okay, so then it's the daytime. So we see that things are kind of going, you know, a little bit up here during the day, but look at that improvement. So let's not focus on, oh, where am I going up? No, like this is a massive improvement from where she was before. So a little bit of ups and downs with breakfast. We expect to go up after we eat, but we want it to come back down. So an up and a down with breakfast. And then in the afternoon, you can see here that it's an up and an up, 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 up. And it doesn't really come back down. So that tells me, okay, well, I'm going up a little bit when I peak, not super high, but it's just kind of getting stuck. Some people kind of call that a sticky high. Um, so I think that when we talk about our areas to improve, that's where we're going to get from this 60% time in range to try and knock some of that yellow off is we kind of want to make it so that after that lunch, we're getting things coming back down. And that could be um, talking about maybe eating patterns. I've seen, I have a lot of people that like to graze and maybe aren't having that regular meal pattern um, or likely just getting a little more insulin for the food because that's about all we can do with this system is go stronger with a carb ratio. So um, very different report. There's a lot on these reports. They can get busy because we're looking at auto mode and manual mode and all these different stats. But again, I would focus on look at the time and look at the lows, look at time in range, look up here at the graph to see, okay, where are things steady? Number one, what's improved? And then what do we want to work on? So here, I think it's kind of that midday chunk. And we'll break this down where we look at the dailies. So such a fabulous example of what looping can do for patients. And we're seeing the benefits more and more. They're coming out. Um, there's more reports on this, just showing the benefits for type 1 diabetes. Denise, thank you very much for your question there. So she asked, is auto mode the same thing as looping? So auto mode is a form of looping. Um, these companies sometimes call their, their form of looping a different thing, but it is this idea of automated insulin delivery. And Medtronic calls theirs auto mode. Yep. Sometimes you can hear... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Phil. I was going to say, sometimes when you hear the term looping, it refers specifically to the off-labeled use with Omnipod. Um, but as, as a general term, looping refers to that automated delivery system where it'll adjust your insulin based on your blood sugar using your continuous glucose monitor. Yeah. Great questions. I know. And it's definitely not everyone's ready for that at this stage, but I love having an example of this in here because it's definitely where the future of diabetes is taking us. I think there's there's no question that that's going to become, I mean, in the U.S., we're seeing it very highly recommended. 
automated insulin delivery systems. Um, and we're going to see all of the companies coming out with um, various systems. So we have auto mode with, um, with the Medtronic system. We have Control IQ with Tandem. And then we have all of the other pump companies will have their systems eventually coming to market in Canada as well, as well as um, the DIY options as well. So there's lots out there, that's for sure. I don't know if you guys can see it in this, this graph. Go back for just one oh, more yeah. second. So if you, if you look at their GMI, it's kind of hard to spot here because there's a lot of information, but you can see from when they were not looping to when they started on looping, their A1C dropped almost a full point. Yeah. And so this is enormous in terms of health benefits long-term. For me, actually, the benefits of, of looping is like the, the long-term complications is one side of it, but being able to go to bed and wake up with a sugar in target every day, it's, it's almost indescribable how good it feels with type 1 diabetes. If you've woken up and your sugar's 13 or you've had a low, it's unbelievable. Um, so if you guys have interest in this, please reach out to your diabetes center because these technologies are improving and getting better and more accessible to people. Yeah. And we hope that coverage keeps getting better too. That's for sure. Yes, that is right? a challenge. Um, okay. So now we've looked at a few of those AGP reports, or it was called assessment and progress at CareLink, but basically they're all that, it's that blue river report with the statistics around it. So that gave us like kind of a wide view of where we want to look at. But as we look at really what are my patterns? What's truly going on? It is very worthwhile to spend some time going through their daily reports. So if you wear a CGM on your device, you can always quickly look back at that 24-hour view. Um, so you can, you, depending on which device you're using, sometimes you choose how many hours you want. Um, in, the, in the Dexcom, you flip your phone sideways and you get a nice 24-hour view if you go in landscape mode on your phone. Um, but going into the actual um, LibreView, Clarity, or CareLink to scroll down them, really, I think, paints a clear picture of what's going on. So if we look down at this one here, and still we're going to try to spot the lows first and make sure that we're not missing anything. So if we take a look here, they do show, okay, here's kind of a low here, middle of the afternoon. Here, oh, that's kind of like late afternoon. We're on the lower side. That's interesting. Right? I've actually had a lot of people that Kids, I see the after school hour, they tend to get low. Maybe this is the end of the workday and they're rushing in and, and rushing around a lot. And it's not, it's not a super low, but if you had to treat this because you got a low alarm that went off, well, then that's a hypoglycemic event, um, whether it fully dipped into the red or not. So anytime it's kind of approaching that red line, we want to kind of look for a pattern which we were talking about. So that late afternoon, I'm curious about what's going on as well as like these two evenings here look okay. But if as we scroll down, oh, look at these two evenings, there's some lows here. And, and what's happening with those? Um, these two, I think I would focus on first because they're truly dipping quite low. It's in the red. Um, and interestingly, both of these lows are right after a high. So I would like to ask the question, okay, what am I doing? What is this person doing when they're high? It's, it's a bit of a longer high. So who's rage bolused before or heard that term? <laughs> it's like, oh, that blood sugar's stuck. I'm going to give a little more, um, right? So maybe that could be a reason. Maybe there's exercise happening in the evening. There could be a lot of different things, but this is would be my first area of lows to explore. And I would scroll through a few more days and go, oh my gosh, yeah, that is interesting. I'm low every night or I'm low several nights a week, kind of between 9 and 10 p.m. What is that? Um, and so I think I would explore that first more than anything. Then when we look at that time and range, you can see actually this person's very stable overnight. Um, for the most part, we're, we're looking at a fairly flat line overnight. 
if we saw it consistently dropping overnight, we would be worried, like what Phil was mentioning, that maybe there's too much basal insulin. That could be a basal rate on a pump, or that could be your long-acting insulin. Um, we'd be worried if it was dropping. Same thing if it was rising overnight. That would be an indicator there's not enough background insulin working. Okay. Um, so I focus on on these on these little lows first, and then we could go. Okay, how are we feeling about some of these little post meal spikes? When we look at the highs, we can see that blood sugar going up after food, definitely um, quite regularly. So sometimes that's not even a dosing change. That can just be hmm, my insulin's actually really slow. If I give it a little bit earlier, that 15 minute pre bolus makes a huge difference in that spike after the meal. And, you know, if I gave my dinner bolus here 15 minutes early and I didn't spike, then maybe I wouldn't overcorrect and end up low in the evening. So there's some little behavior things there that I think without even touching the insulin dose can actually make a big difference. And it has a ripple effect uh, moving on after that. Okay, I'll pass it over to Phil for another one. I love that you're talking about the timing of insulin too, because everybody's had this experience of trying to play catch up on their blood sugars and just taking that insulin 15 minutes before your meal and making sure that it's actually kicking in by the time you're starting your meal makes a big difference in terms of preventing these highs from being as high, really flattening out that curve. Um, I've heard strategies around, you know, maybe eat your carbohydrates later in your meal too. If you start with your veggies, if you start with your protein, it's a little bit more time for that insulin to actually kick in and flatten out that curve. Yeah. And so this is an example of a Libre daily report. So one of the things you'll see right away is there's a couple more gaps in the report. So with Libre, the actual device you wear only remembers for eight hours. And if you haven't scanned your phone to pick up your blood sugar data in, in longer than eight hours, you start to end up with these gaps in the graph. So that's what you're seeing at the, the start of the, the first two there. It's the patient has slept in a little bit longer or maybe woke up and just didn't remember to scan until lunchtime. And so you get a little bit of a break in that data. So with, with Libre, if you're finding you have lots of gaps, a good first step is saying, can I increase my scanning to help get a good picture of my day? And I usually set a goal for patients of try and scan at least a minimum four times a day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and bedtime. If you want to scan 50 times a day, great. The more you're reflecting on your sugar, I consider a positive thing, but just making sure that you're getting that full picture of your day. And so, yeah, let's start like we do with all reports and start to look at lows. So you can see this report is a little varied and all over the place. So, you know, how do, how do we start with this? He's got a low on the second one in the middle of the night. He's got a low kind of after his meal on the fourth one there. And so, there's a, there's a couple of different things to approach around this. I'm kind of getting the sense that this patient, when they're taking insulin, when their sugar's high, is possibly overcorrecting. And you can kind of see that in the second one where their sugar was 11.9, they ended up low. And again, on the fourth one where their sugar was 14 and they did a correction and they came down too low. So this might be something where we're looking at, is it related to taking too much insulin for food? Is it related to their correction factor? And, and can we make adjustments around that? The other thing that I would really like to point out here is, so if you look at their blood sugar through the night, it's kind of got this general upward trend to it. And, and even through the day, you can see that, that they're, they're almost always playing behind in terms of their, their blood sugars. They're always trying to take insulin to correct and it's generally creeping up. So rather than feeding it their insulin, they're chasing their insulin at all times. So this might be somebody who would benefit from increasing their basal insulin to try and flatten out that line through the night. 
And then maybe looking at their correction factor and saying, can we also reduce the lows when you're doing corrections? Um, and then kind of similar factors around meals. So you can see it has large blood sugar spikes. I'd be curious, are they taking the right amount of insulin with some of their meals? Are they taking their insulin beforehand? Um, just the strategies to help flatten out this curve. Yeah. When it's interesting too, like you see here, like the biggest spike is after a low. So remember we're talking about, we've got to fix the lows first, because if we've started with the highs, like it's the low that I think caused this. And that could be a little bit of an overtreatment because especially with our sensors, who's noticed there's a bit of a lag time when you come up from a low. And if you're looking at it every couple minutes, it's like low, 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 low. And that waiting 15 minutes feels very painful when you have access to, to data very quickly, right? So it's, it's, it's an interesting one, that's for sure. My, my pro tip for managing highs, because everybody's had this experience of chasing their highs, is I've never not found anything that breaks a high blood sugar faster than a brisk walk. If you're able to get out the door and do some walking, it'll kick in way faster than a correction insulin dose. Yes. It makes that insulin go like double time, double speed. <laughs> Absolutely. Good point. We don't talk about that enough, I think, actually. We focus so much on what to do with like, how do I change how much insulin I get versus like you say, can I go for a walk after I eat? Can I change the timing of my insulin? Sometimes those things make a much bigger difference. Okay. So now here's one more daily report. So this is in the Medtronic CareLink system. Again, this is this, this person using the Medtronic 670G with auto mode turned on. Um, and we could do a whole session on automated delivery, but just so that you kind of have an idea what's going on this little, here's our daily, our glucose, our CGM graph, like what we saw on Dexcom and Libre. And then in the background here, we see what's happening with that basal delivery. So that's where we see that the system is adjusting the basal throughout the day and throughout the night. Okay. So it's, it's doing its job to get this blood sugar down and to target overnight. That was something we were looking for. We're going to start with that looking for the safety. So I don't, I don't see any clear lows here. I see a lowish pattern actually in the mornings here though. It's not fully low, but sometimes I would always ask someone, you know, are you kind of riding in that fours and do you need to eat? If we need to eat to keep our blood sugar up, then if you're getting a low alarm and you're having to feed that insulin a little bit, then maybe we need to back off on something earlier. This one actually, I think might actually be related to some exercise after the breakfast and in the mid mornings where that blood sugar is dropping almost too quickly. Um, so maybe some strategies around that. Um, what can we do more of? So again, here, it looks like this person is actually giving that insulin before the meal here. Cause you can see that spike doesn't go up nearly as high as here where the blood sugar started to climb. I think this bolus was actually given a bit late so that blood sugar peaked more. So, Hey, they pre-bolused here that made a really big difference and may allowed them to be a little bit more stable. So let's keep working on that. Um, and then some of these highs, it's just Sometimes they happen. So again, I think maybe this was a late and an under bolus. So that's just something to, to be aware of and, and remind ourselves of. Uh, but overall, they're doing really well, for sure. Questions on that? And so just in summary, reflect on your blood, blood glucose data regularly. After meals, did that was, was the amount of insulin correct? Was it too much? Was it too little? Did the activity affect things? Just looking at your patterns and learning yourself is, is amazing and empowering and, and will help make diabetes feel less confusing for you. 
Um, looking at your time and range alone is sometimes not as powerful as looking at sources of variability. And minimizing that variability can be really, really powerful in terms of making it so you feel like you're not riding that roller coaster all the time. Absolutely. And, you know, don't be afraid to reach out for help. Please, like this, this is so much. I have to phone colleagues sometimes and go, can you look at these few days? I cannot figure out for the life of me what happened. And that second set of eyes and that accountability with our healthcare teams or this amazing support group that you have here, if you have someone that you can text and go, can you take a look at this? Am I... And, and we'll sometimes be like, oh, I had a tough week, but it's like, well, no, if I look back and I have a pattern of something, I, we need to try to do something about it um, as best we can. And always, you know, think of your goals. So if you're far from that 70, don't make it your goal to get to 70 next week or next month. You're going to get there slowly. Make those small incremental. Okay, I'm at 40 right now. Let's try and get to 50. Let's try and improve a few things and then let's keep moving up stepwise as long as we're moving forward. That's our goal. And when you get a slight increase, celebrate it. Uh, you get a night year in range or you get even just your overnight to be consistent with it. I think that probably should be almost the first goal in anybody. If you're getting a lot of ups and downs, can I make it so I can go to bed at a certain number and wake up very close to that? Can I flatten that overnight? And that's even going to feel refreshing. So think of maybe what that one or two goals might be for you and, and just work towards it. So we'll stick around here for some more questions. We talked about a lot in one night. It was a challenge to talk about multiple systems. We tried to make this as applicable to everyone as they can, but uh, please feel free to either speak up um, and you can unmute yourself if you want to verbally ask a question or add something into the chat. But thank you, everyone. All right, looks... thank you so much. Oh, was someone just about to ask a question? There is just a couple in here. In the chat. chat. Yeah. So my endos have changed over the years and always wanted my time and range to be between five and 10 not below five. That's an interesting question. So sometimes we do put that low target a little bit higher, and that could be in people that have a history of a severe hypoglycemia, or if you've had hypoglycemia unawareness where you weren't able to feel your, you're not able to feel your lows anymore. If we can keep you a little bit higher for a while, that could be the rationale behind that. Have to know a specific story um, with with somebody to to say that generally, but that are those are guidelines that are out there on that for sure. It's a good question. You still need to be five to drive, though, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Very important. I think there's more questions in the chat box. Okay, so hold on, we're gonna and, and we have our pre-submitted questions. So um, I'm okay. happy to read those out. Where can you find the first session? There's a number of different platforms and I don't know if I know them all. YouTube, Spotify, we've got a website. Um, there's probably more I'm leaving out. Yeah, just contact us later. Um, all right, you know what? Let me ask the pre-submitted questions just because these people took the time to think about it. Um, and the first one is from Anonymous. Could you discuss best strategies for when and how to increase or decrease basal levels according to patterns seen on our device? Yeah. So when I think of basal, I'm thinking of it, it's used to keep your blood sugar stable during the periods when you're not eating. And so the tricky thing with adjusting basal is 
it's, it's sometimes hard to um, get a look at it if you've got periods through your day or when you're eating. So the easiest time to look at tends to be overnight. Um, if you wanna get a sense for adjusting your basal overnight, generally what we're looking for is just that flat line through the night. And the, the kind of goal I set for my patients is try to have no more than a two point difference from when you go to bed to when you wake up in the morning. Um, so, so ideally if your sugar is eight, waking up no higher than 10, no lower than six. And if you're starting to see a trend over a couple of days where your blood sugar is trending up through the night or trending down through the night, that might be when you say, okay, I need to increase my basal if it's always trending up, or I need to decrease my basal if I'm trending towards a low blood sugar. Go ahead. Oh yeah, no, that's exactly. And, and, and that number could be high or low. So even if it's a 10 and you wake up at 10, don't go, why am I 10? I'm high in the morning or I'm 11. Well, if you were flat, okay. So now if we know that you're 11 at bedtime and 10 to 12 in the morning, then maybe now you're going to be comfortable. You go, okay, I'm flat at night. Maybe I'm more comfortable giving a correction at bedtime because I know I'm flat overnight. And let's work at bringing the bedtime now more to a six, for example, or a seven or somewhere a little bit lower so that now you go seven to seven, <laughs> right? It's like getting a baby to sleep through the night. It's what it feels like to me. Um, but yeah, that's big. And then during the day, you want to, if you ever have an opportunity where you're not eating, <laughs> of course, I love people to eat. But if you have a day where lunch is late, um, you, you, today's a busy day and oh my gosh, I didn't have time for breakfast. Take note of that and go, what happened? Did I get low that day? I forgot to have breakfast or I was too busy in the morning to have breakfast. If you got low, then you have too much basil. That basil should keep you stable in the absence of food. That's its job. Um, <laughs> same thing is if you, if you forget to eat and you go high, cause you needed that mealtime dose to bring you down, then we know we don't have enough basil. So just watch for that. All right, another question in the chat box is, um, can you talk about standard deviation versus coefficient of variability? Uh, do you want that one or do you want me to take that one? I can take that one. Yeah, so they're just different metrics for looking at how much variability do you have in your blood sugar. We've kind of moved towards using coefficient of variation as, as our metric for determining how much spread in your data you have, how much variability you have. Standard deviation can also be used and it, it shows up on the Dexcom reports. So um, a similar metric for that would be is trying to aim for a standard deviation under three. And at that point, we tend to see more stability with blood sugars. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, did the person who asked that want to follow up? Okay, so the next pre-submitted question is, I'm interested in hearing more about CG pump and uh, CGM pump integration that different companies have closed loop systems. Yeah. So I think we, I, I did see that one pre-submitted. So I tried to put a little more in there throughout the session. I hope we got it, but it's really, I mean, it, it is where the future is taking us for sure. Um, there's, to me, there's no question in it. And it's, we all have different levels of comfort, just like we've all had to, you know, get comfortable enough to put on a CGM for the first time and start trusting it, reading our glucose we could depend on it and feel comfortable maybe not poking our fingers right as much um and then we need to gain that comfort with a pump and trusting it so i think we all and, and the people i work with i'm always very surprised who's nervous to move forward to something managing their blood sugars for them versus who kind of wants to keep control and and we all have a very individual approach on that and how we feel about that so um but starting to think about that is big and, and like phil mentioned that overnight control hands down, I shouldn't say control that overnight glucose for sure is 
very dependable with all of the systems. Um, whether it's like, like I said, there's Tandem Control IQ, there's Medtronic with Auto Mode, uh, 780G, and then there's the, the DIY groups as well. Um, so we see that overnight glucose come down. That's a huge lift of burden off of us. <laughs> Knowing, you know, I had pizza last night, I went a bit high in the evening and it's going to bring me down overnight. Right. So that's huge. Um, and then it's just what bells and whistles do you want? And, you know, some of these systems can autocorrect as well. Um, some you're more involved with, but really what it boils down to with every one of these systems is being able to trust it to do what we want it to do. So if you're interested, I know the JDRF, I think has some tech nights coming up um, on the companies that have different ones, go online, see what people are using. Um, there's lots of information out there and talk to your diabetes team for sure. Because uh, it's, it's evolving very, very quickly. This is an opinion more than a, a grounded medical fact, but it, I kind of felt for years that there were arguments for doing injections or going on an insulin pump. It's my opinion now that the progression of technology is such that it, it's becoming harder to argue that pumps are not superior for the people that have access to them. And it's, you know, after years for me waking up with lows in the night and trying to keep my blood sugars really tightly managed, I wake up every day now with a sugar of five almost without fail, whether I go to bed with a sugar of 12 or go to bed with a sugar of seven, I wake up and I pretty well don't have lows and it is unbelievable. So if you um, are interested in this stuff, you do have access to be able to do this. I would encourage people to explore it. Absolutely. Okay, we have another question in the chat box. At the beginning, you, meant, you mentioned 10% decrease of time and range lowers A1C by something blank. I did not get that percentage. Would you please repeat what you said? Can anyone give it? Who remembers? <laughs> <laughs> Quiz time. Amazing. No, nobody took me up on it. Okay, I tried. <laughs> okay. Alana? Phil, what's the answer? Was I listening? It's half a percent, I hope. Half a percent, yes. So if your timing <laughs> range is 50%, your A1C will generally be around eight. It's thirty yeah. percent. Your A one C will be closer to nine. It's not consistent all the way through, but just as a rough guideline for estimating your A one C, sometimes it's yeah. more useful. We've got a couple um, statisticians in here because I also see is CV CV under thirty six percent. Yes, that's absolutely right. And we definitely that CV is a little bit stronger of a predictor of lows. Um, so I do like that number. Once you're over 36%, it's telling you where, even if you're not hitting the lows, you're kind of riding that low line. That may be, I've got a few people that it's like, they have to eat that extra snack in the afternoon to make it through. That's, that's often an indicator that we're riding that low line. Thank you very much, Saloni, too, for your post about saying, looking at your Libre data, sometimes you feel shame and sadness. It, it breaks my heart every time I have a patient's Hear, like I hear them say, I'm a bad diabetic. And there's no such thing as a bad diabetic. People don't know how hard it is to have type one diabetes and, and people work so hard and it's it's tough. So, so thank you guys for being here and trying to learn and empower yourself and be supportive of each other. Absolutely. Okay, um, it's, we're three minutes in. Um, so if anyone has any questions um, that I didn't read out, um, please just say, you know, this is your time to shout out or write it in the box. I'll stop there. Okay. Well, great. Um, I just want to say to everyone that, you know, this is, you all are so fortunate to have Bill and Alana speak because um, they usually speak at conferences 
um, like Diabetes Canada, JDRF, and which you have to pay like at least $500 to be able to attend the conference. So you're hearing from experts. I mean, people who, again, that um, drug companies pay to give these talks and they're just doing it because they believe in helping um, and, and just kind of be, you know, they know exactly what you're feeling and want to be able to give you enough information so you can make um, you know, good decisions. So I, I wanted to make sure everyone knew that. Um, thank you again, Alana and Phil. You guys are great. I love having you. Um, your talks are so informative. I think you should probably teach some of our endocrinology fellows. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, lobby for that. Um, and again, um, you know, if you all, again, the huddlers, if there's a topic you want us to, um, you know, feature, um, bring a speaker in, just let us know. Um, just, you know, um, write Soraya or myself, because um, we're happy to do that. We just can't do it if you don't tell us. Like, so if you want to learn about retinopathy or something else about, um, you know, stem cell therapy, just let us know. Um, so thank you everyone for attending tonight and we will see you next month. Thank you, everyone. Fabulous. Thank you. Go forward with, was it Rick's comment? Data from Dexcom. I use it as a game and fun. <laughs> I love that. Play with your data, learn from your numbers. Um, they're just numbers. We're learning. I think, I think that's a great way to close this off. Thanks everyone. Thank you.